Brothers and sisters, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me for our scripture reading for our sermon text this morning as we look together at Paul's letter to the Corinthians, his first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 15. And we'll look together at verse 10 this morning. 1 Corinthians 15.10. And the context here, Paul begins by saying to these Corinthians that he is going to deliver to them the gospel. And then he says what it is. Christ died for our sins. According to the Scriptures, He was buried, He was raised. Basically what we just said in the Apostles' Creed. And then he says that the risen Christ appeared to more than 500 people, most of whom are still alive when Paul wrote this. He says that Christ appeared to the, to the twelve, to Peter and all the rest of the twelve. Then he appeared to his brother James. And then Paul says, last of all, as to someone who was born at the wrong time, someone who was born out of season, Christ appeared to Paul. And he says, I'm the least of the apostles because I was persecuting the church. And then he says this, in our scripture reading this morning, 1 Corinthians 15, 10, he says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. This is God's holy word for us this morning. Let's ask Him to bless our time in His word. Father, thank you for giving us your word. We ask now that you would bless not only the reading of your word, but now especially the preaching of it. May the unfolding of your word give us light, O God, and give us eyes to see it. Write your truth upon our hearts. Encourage us today. Transform us today as only you can do, for you alone have the words of eternal life. And we'll give you the praise for it in the name of Christ. Amen. The Old Testament has a lot of weird names in it. My favorite Old Testament name is, let's see if I can say it right. I don't think I can say it. (laughs) That's how weird it is. It's a strange name. It's hard to say. And I'm not even going to try it because I know I'm going to butcher it. It's a long, weird name. The Old Testament's got a lot of weird names in it. I'm still trying to think of how to say it. I should have wrote it down. I know it ends with the sound banab. That's weird, right? Banab. Well, maybe you have a favorite Old Testament name. Maybe you have a favorite word. I wonder if you have a favorite word in English. I was watching a video a few years ago of a sort of a political talk show host. Uh, Maybe you've heard of him, Dennis Prager. I was watching a video from Dennis Prager a few years ago, and Dennis was giving a talk somewhere, I don't know where, and he talked about his favorite word, his favorite word in English. He said, my favorite word is earn. Earn. He said, you got to earn your paycheck. You got to earn your trophy. You got to earn respect. You got to earn it. You got to earn your job. Earn your way. Earn is a great word, a strong word in English. 
You have to earn your way in life. And he said, this is more fulfilling than being handed everything in life. Now, Prager was taking sides in that talk in a philosophical debate over ethics. We normally think of ethics as just simply what's morally right and what's morally wrong. We think of ethics in terms of a series of right and wrong choices you have to make. Steal this or don't steal it. Lie about that or don't lie about it. Just a series of choices that confront us and we need to make the right one. Ethics is far more than that. The doing right and doing wrong, that's morality. What's morally right, what's morally wrong. But ethics goes further than that. Ethics is about how you experience your own life and respond to it. What meaning does life have? What's the meaning of the challenges that life presents? And what kind of person are you as you face those challenges? That's what ethics is about. Who we are on the inside and our character. It's more than just simply, did I do the right thing or did I do the wrong thing? But it's about building in ourselves the kind of fiber, the kind of strength, the kind of person that is required to meet life's challenges as we understand them. What does life mean? What do the problems of life mean? How do I experience them? Ethics is about your values. What are your values with which and according to which you face your own life? Prager in that video was taking sides in an ethics debate that goes far beyond simply choosing right or wrong in a certain scenario. And the two sides that are competing are an entitlement, entitlement ethics versus merit ethics. Entitlement ethics versus merit ethics. These ethical positions are being played out before our eyes in our culture in the recurring turmoil that we constantly hear over my rights, what I am owed, and my responsibilities, what I owe to others. Entitlement ethics says, just give it to me. I already deserve it. Merit ethics says, you don't deserve anything unless you go earn it and get it yourself. Two very different visions of how you're supposed to live your life and how you're supposed to experience and encounter and navigate your life with a sense of entitlement or with a sense of merit. Just give it to me. I deserve to be taken care of either by other people, society, the government, or I have to take care of myself and then if I have extra time, I'll take care of you. Into this social, cultural, philosophical clash between these two different ways of living life, these two different visions of ethics, the Apostle Paul speaks with biblical clarity. All of us tend to one side of that or another. We might have more entitlement tendencies or we might have more merit tendencies. And it comes out in a thousand ways like how you handle criticism 
or how you confront a challenge at your job or how you vote or how you respond to Amber Alerts. <laughs> no, it's not an Amber Alert. It's a, it's a weather alert. <laughs> right? How do you handle distractions? In our passage this morning, Paul charts a course, a middle course, between entitlement ethics on the one side and merit ethics on the other. Paul thinks that both of them get something right and both of them get something wrong. Paul takes the good from both and wants to keep those and get rid of the bad. But the parts he keeps, he wants to bring them into conformity with the will of God and the character and life of Jesus to make them Christian, to make them distinctively Christian. He wants to teach us this morning, and what God through His Word wants to teach us this morning is not entitlement ethics and not merit ethics, but Christian ethics. So this morning I want us to think about these three aspects of our text. Number one, the need for this vision of Christian ethics. Second, the principle behind this vision. And number three, the way to live out Christian ethics in your life and in our world today. So let us begin with the need for this vision of ethics, the need of the hour. These two approaches to life, entitlement versus merit, they both get something right, and they both get something fundamentally wrong, wrong enough to make them not acceptable as a Christian option. Entitlement ethics sees the world differently than merit ethics. Entitlement ethics tends to see the world in terms of innocent victims and the oppressors who deny them their rights. Whatever you have in life, according to entitlement ethics, ultimately comes to you because it is given to you by those in power over you. Merit ethics sees things very differently. Merit ethics tends to see the world not in terms of victims and oppressors, but in terms of blameworthy slackers and the hard workers who earn what they have. Victims, oppressors. Slackers, hard workers. Two different ways of experiencing the world and the culture that we live in. Merit ethics says whatever you have in life ultimately comes from you making it happen yourself. These represent two different visions of the relationship between effort and outcome. Effort and outcome. In our world today, the need of the hour is for a different vision than these two offer us. The need of the hour is for a Christian vision of the relationship between effort and outcome, a biblical worldview about how we should live our lives. 
The world needs to see the church living differently. If they see us just living like all the people who are on the entitlement side, they can't tell we're Christian because plenty of non-Christians live like that. Same on the other side. If we lived like all the merit folks who embrace a merit ethic, how can they tell us apart? Plenty of non-Christians live and believe that. So what makes us Christian if we just look like the world in the way we experience our own obstacles and see meaning in our life and live it out. We need a distinctively Christian vision. We need, the world needs to see the church living differently and tackling life with a distinct vision of our own that is taught to us by Jesus and instructed by the Word of God, not from culture or opinion or what I feel or think. Not entitlement ethics. Not merit, not merit ethics, but what I am calling valiance ethics. Valiance ethics. That is distinctively Christian. Valiance ethics is distinctively Christian because it says this. You must work without earning. And you must receive without slacking. In other words, it sees the relationship between effort and outcome like this. Effort is up to us. Outcome is up to God. Effort is up to us. Outcome is up to God. You have to put in the work, like merit ethics says. But the results you get have to be given to you by God like entitlement ethics tends to say. Effort from us, outcome from God. That's the equation. Whenever I worked in retail, I worked from, you know, the lowly cashier that no one liked all the way up, (laughs) all the way up to a sort of a middle manager at a bookstore, you know. So across about 10, 12, 15 years. So I've been through the the retail ringer, okay? I've, I've been in all the different positions, And one of the things that I learned and had to teach others once I started managing and training was I had to tell them, look, I can give you the handbook. I can walk you through policy and procedure. I can teach you skill and technique, but I cannot teach you effort. Effort is not a skill. It's something you do or you don't do. And that's true across life. Effort is up to you. You don't have to be taught how to try. You just have to jump in there and try. Effort is up to us. Absolutely up to us. We can choose to sit or we can choose to to rise to the occasion. But the outcomes of our lives, although it's connected to our effort, it's not guaranteed by our effort, is it? The outcome in our lives is decided by a sovereign God who rules all things, who is in charge and in control of our lives and of our world. You have to put in the work. Effort comes from us, but the results come from God. Outcome is up to Him. Just look how Paul himself exemplifies this in our passage. Look in verse 10, 1 Corinthians fifteen ten. In verse 9, Paul is a persecutor of the church. He hates Christ. He hates the church. He persecutes Christians. 
All of a sudden in verse 10, he's not only new, he is now a hard-working apostle. How did that happen? How did Paul go from Christ-hater, church-destroyer, to church-planter, Christ-follower, the great apostle who wrote most of your New Testament? How in the world did that happen? Paul tells you it's not a mystery. He knew this. Verse 10, by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Any of who? The other apostles, Peter and James and John and the brother of Jesus and the family of Jesus. I outworked all of them. I was the superstar apostle. I put in more effort than any other apostle did. I did that, Paul said. But then he says, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. How did Paul understand the relationship between effort and outcome? He worked hard, and if he hadn't worked, none of his churches would have been planted. God doesn't just, out of nothing, create churches. Just, and then congregations appear, and churches are, just happen. And Paul just sits back, ah, yes, God, thank you for planting that church through me. No, he didn't plant the church through Paul if he just zapped it into existence. No, God planted those churches, but he used the hard work and the effort of an apostle. He worked through Paul to bring about the outcome. And that's the relationship between our effort and God's gift of certain outcomes in our life. That's how Paul understood it. I worked hard, but I am what I am because of God's grace, and I accomplished what I accomplished because of God's grace. Oh yeah, I put in the work, but God gave the victory. Paul practiced Christian valiance but he understood that victorious living and victory and success in life only comes because God blesses our efforts freely when he doesn't have to. It's a gift. Victorious living is a gift, but it doesn't come cheap. Victorious living is something we all desire and something we all must strive for. But since our striving cannot control God's will or deserve God's grace, we must strive with God-reliance, not self-reliance. This kind of striving demands bravery and courage, strength and integrity, honor and valor. In other words, it requires, it demands the Christian virtue of valiance. Valiance is what God commanded Joshua to have in our Old Testament reading. In Joshua 1.9, he says to be strong and very courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Have valiance. Face the obstacles of conquering Canaan which will be no easy task, in courage, with great honor, with valor and bravery. You can't just walk in there and say, please, Jebusites, can we have the city? <laughs> the Jebusites aren't going to give you the city, guys. 
There's a war to be fought. There's conquest to happen. The kingdom advances because the soldiers of the Lord march forward with valiance and bravery and courage under the banner of an almighty king. And that's the only way it goes forward. And of course, the weapons of our warfare, Paul says, are not carnal. They're not violence, weaponry, like wars that are swirling around us today. But our weapons are spiritual. It's the Word of God. It's the love of Christ. It's the gospel of a great and mighty Savior. It's the power of a cross. That's the, that's the key, Joshua. March. Go. It requires valiance to live this life, to face the things your life throws at you. And if you want to have victory and victorious living, you can't bypass the need for Christian virtue, for Christian valiance. In our lost world full of twisted and distorted visions about life. The need of the hour is for a clear demonstration to the world of the Christian way of life, both as individuals and as families and as churches. We need to face all of life with valiance, and the world needs to see us doing it. That's the need of the hour, valiance. Now let's move to point two, victory. Let's discuss the fundamental principle that's behind this valiance ethics. I call this the principle of victory. We've looked at the need for valiance, but let's look at this principle of victory. I want you to commit this principle to memory. Get this into your bloodstream, Christian. And this will keep you on the path to having victory in your life, in all areas of your life. But this principle, it does not guarantee that you will get every outcome that you want. That's up to God. But this principle will set you up to meet every outcome in your life with valiance. And that in itself is a victorious life. So here's the principle, the principle of victory. You, without God, cannot. God, without you, will not. You, without God, cannot have victory in life, victorious living. And God without you will not give you victory in life and victorious living. The two are connected. But don't get it twisted. Don't get those two twisted. Don't get the cannot and the will not mixed up. It's not without you, God can't. There's no such thing as God can't. You know, with a couple of exceptions like God can't lie. But that's not a liability. That's a strength. That's a perfection of his that he can't be dishonest because he's that good. Right? So, yeah, God can't lie. God can't break his promise because of his perfect goodness and his perfect character. But outside of that, outside of just contradictions like that, there's nothing God can't do. The Bible's full of these statements that God can do all that he pleases, anything he wants to do. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need you. He, could have, it, he didn't need Paul to plant those churches. He could have sent somebody else to do it. He could have used anybody else he wanted to. It's not because Paul was so special. 
and the things in your life that God has done through you. He did, the, he did you the great privilege of letting you partner with him in what he was doing. When he could have used somebody else, he didn't have to include you. It's not God without you cannot, like his hands are tied unless you're willing to get up and work. No, God can do whatever he wants, whenever and however and through whomever he desires. God without you, not cannot, but will not. Because God's normal way of acting in the world, God's normal way of acting in your life, is that he includes you. He wants your full participation. Because he's not just interested in giving you cheap victories. He wants you to grow. He wants you to form and cultivate a deep, rich, vibrant Christian character and to have a deep and rich relationship with Him. And if He just sit, lets you sit and never have to lift a finger to have everything you want and to just get everything good in life, you're not going to grow that way. You don't learn what it's like to face a temptation that almost did you in. You don't learn what it's like to face a challenge that you thought was going to be the absolute end of you and somehow God gave you the resources to face it with bravery and to face it with kindness and to be a, a rock and not fall to pieces. How did you face that? We've all faced stuff, right? How did you get through that and come out the other side as a stronger Christian, a better person? You did it because... God doesn't give you cheap victories. God wants our full participation. Without you, God will not because he wants what's good for you. And what's good for you and me is that we grow in Christ-likeness. Christ didn't get cheap victories. And neither will we. But don't, again, don't get it twisted. It's not God without you cannot. It's that he will not because he loves you. And he wants to include you. No, the cannot's on our side. We can't do anything without Christ. We have no power. We can work as hard as we possibly want, but without God, we cannot have victory over any part of our lives. Without God, we cannot do anything. Jesus said in the Gospel of John, Without me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. We have the cannot but we have a God who doesn't know what cannot means. God has a will not because he wants us to grow. That's the perfect balance between effort and outcome. We put in the work without earning anything from God whatsoever. We receive every victory we have from his gracious hand, but we don't receive it while slacking off. We fully engage and he freely gives. That is valiance ethics. That is the principle of victory. Let me give you one example of this in the Old Testament. We don't have time to turn there, but let me just give you one example. In Proverbs chapter 10, there are two verses that seem like a contradiction. Proverbs 10.4 says, The hand of the diligent creates wealth or gets rich. Talking about how you make money in life. How do you get 
How do you flourish and make money and get a good job and prosper? The hand of the diligent makes rich, and the slacker has nothing. The slacker knows only poverty. That's in the Bible. (laughs) And then you got another verse in the same chapter, verse 22, that says, God gives riches. Riches are a blessing from Him, and there's no trouble for us involved. What a, bla- what a contradiction, right? That's a contradiction in the Bible, isn't it? Well, the hand of the diligent is how you get rich. If you slack off, you're going to be a pauper. Oh, no, but riches come from God. They're only a blessing from Him, and He doesn't, he doesn't make you trouble with it. Well, which is it? <laughs> well, it's both, isn't it? We work without earning, and He gives without us slacking. Right there in Proverbs. It's both. Psalm 127.1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor to build it, labor in vain. That's the idea. You without God cannot. God without you will not. We work without earning. We receive without slacking. We've seen valiance, the need of the hour. We've seen victory and the principle of how to, how to live victoriously. Last point this morning. Valiance ethics, based on this victory principle, demands that we live in the overlap of two different realities. The realities of grit and grace. Grit and grace. Grit from us. Grace from God. One of these you can control, your grit. One of these you cannot control, God's grace. That's what we see in the early disciples in our New Testament reading in Acts chapter 4. They were threatened to stop preaching And so they went and had a prayer service, and they said, Sovereign God, listen to their threats, and then give us the boldness to to preach in your name and to see mighty things accomplished in your name. They said, give us the valiance we need to be obedient and to do what you've called us to do, and then you give us what only you can give. Grit from us, Lord. Strengthen our hearts and characters. Put steel in our spines to go and be bold and courageous. To put in the grit, the effort that it takes to be obedient and see, the, see evangelism happen in this city. But Lord, you are sovereign and good. Do for us what only you can do. Grant us the victory. Bless our efforts. For unless you bless our efforts, we are nothing and we are finished. That's what we saw in our Old Testament reading. It's what we see in our passage from Paul. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. At the end of... 1 Corinthians 15, Paul encourages his readers like this. He says, Therefore, 
my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. That is valiance. Always be immovable. Don't let persecution and criticism and mocking and scoffing and opposition and challenges and difficulties in life. Do not let those things move you. Be immovable. Be steadfast. Be rock solid in the midst of the trials that come your way. Abounding in the work of the Lord. Effort. Grit. And then he says, knowing this. That in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Meaning God will honor your sincere efforts to obey him. You put in the grit, but God gives all the grace. That's what we see everywhere in Jesus' life. That's what we see in Paul's life. Paul striving with all of his strength, knowing that it's Christ who strengthens him. That it's God's energy at work in him. Grit and grace. Effort and outcome. This is how they're connected. And I want to finish by talking about two benefits that come to us if we embrace a valiance ethic. Two great benefits for us if we embrace this ethic and embrace this approach to life, this Christian way of living. Number one, this ethic will lead you to a to hard work with no excuses, but with humility. This ethic leads to hard work with humility. You see, merit ethics is all grit and no grace. But grit without grace leads to arrogance. It leads to pride. It leads to, I did it. I relied on myself to chest thumping and pride. And it looks down on other people who don't put in the same effort we do. And we tend to be haughty towards those and arrogant towards those who aren't as fortunate or as well off as we are. Well, it must be because there's something wrong with them. Slackers, bums, scoundrels. They didn't put in the work. Not like me. I earn my way. I earn my keep. No, particip- no participation trophy for me. Self-reliance. It's all grit, but there's no humility in that. It's just arrogance and pride, and it stinks in the nostrils of Christ who didn't have any familiarity with living like this. No, grit without grace leads to arrogance, but grit with grace leads to gratitude. You will work hard, but you will understand that everything good you have and every victory you've ever experienced comes from the hand of a gracious and good God, and you can't take any credit for it. It all comes from Him, and it leads you to have such gratitude, to know the joy of being able to say thank you instead of being proud. That's the Christian way. Second benefit that you get from a valiance ethic. This ethic requires us to trust God And it reminds us to live lives of prayer in dependence on God. If you know that victory only comes from His gracious hand, then it's a gift from Him that you don't earn. That means it's something you have to ask for, not just work for. You put in the work, but you don't earn anything from God's hand. You can't coerce His grace. You can't make Him 
twist his arm, give you anything. But if you know that you're, in, you're completely dependent upon him for victory in your life, you will be a person of prayer. Prayer is where your dependence on God is cultivated. The surest sign that you're depending on God in your life is that you're a person of prayer. Prayer is where you cultivate this kind of character. It's the soil out of which valiance grows. Prayer is where you plant the seeds of Christian virtue and character, and you water it, and you nurture it, and you cultivate it, and it grows in the warm climate of a heart that trusts the Lord. Prayer, dependence on God. You will strive to work harder than anybody else, just like Paul, but then you'll say, oh, it's all His mercy and grace to me. And with humility and with gratitude and with joy and with a full harvest of the fruit of the Spirit grown in the garden of prayer, you will experience victorious living in your life. You will meet every need and every challenge with boldness and with courage and with honor and with valor. And oh, doesn't the world need to see Christians not melting away beneath the stress and the struggle and not living like we're entitled and not living like we've earned it all, but living like this where we work hard with grit, but we know a God who blesses us with grace. And that's how we become who he calls us to be. So my concluding challenge to us is to renounce entitlement ethics Renounce merit ethics. Give up the social and political perspectives that go with them both as your vision of the world and as your approach to life. Valiance and victory go together like grit and grace. And my last word this morning is I want to say a word to our, our honored guests, our trailmen. I want to tell you, young men, dedicate yourselves now to building your Christian character. That's part of the goal of trail life, right, Vinny? We want Christian character in young, brave, strong men who will grow up to live like Christ and love like Christ to lead this next generation with fortitude and with honor that's part of what you're learning to do. Learning the, the skills of camping and the woods and all that stuff is absolutely excellent stuff that will help you build the habits of discipline. But the ultimate goal is that you will face this world with valiance, that you will learn this Christian character, that you will rise to lead this next generation with the power of God on your life. Don't you want to live with power? That's what you were made for, men. You were made to strive. You were made to serve, to lay your life down for others like Jesus. You were made to advance a kingdom, to conquer. Don't waste it with TikTok. <laughs> Don't waste it on the internet scrolling for days until you're covered with Cheeto dust and your parents can't find you anymore. <laughs> 
You were made for more than that. Now, I'm not saying don't enjoy your childhood, and I'm not saying it's a sin to watch a video or anything like that, or play a video game. Please, please don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying give up all that stuff. But I'm saying put your priorities right now and grow now and become these strong men that this next generation needs. It is hard to be men right now. It's hard to be a strong, courageous passionate man who has great godly character and can lead and not be afraid. There's so many things to make you afraid these days, but don't cower. Remember the verse that your whole troop is built on. Joshua 1, 9. Be strong and very courageous. Your God is with you wherever you go. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your trail life days. Strive to be the best, most godly version of yourself that you can be. This world needs strong, courageous, holy men of God who know how to lead their families and lead their communities and lead their friends and love a broken world like Jesus did with sacrificial passion and the power of God. Be valiant and strong. Be that man, Trailman. Be that man. And let all of us Learn this biblical ethic of how to be valiant and victorious. And may God bless our sincere efforts to follow Him. And may He raise us all up to walk as Christians are called to walk for the glory of Jesus and the good of the world He loves. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would indeed bless each and every one of us with a Christian world and life view that faces life and faces challenges and approaches all the hard things we have to go through in life with courage, with boldness. And I pray especially for our young men, our trailmen, that you would give them the kind of courage and strength and build up their their characters as only you can do. And teach them how to work harder than everybody else, but to take no credit, to be humble and not to be arrogant, to walk with grit and to pray for grace. May we all live that way. And we give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.